0: In this episode of the Cerulean Woman Art Talks podcast, I feature Adrienne Elise Tarver. She is an interdisciplinary artist, educator, and administrator with a practice that spans painting, sculpture, installation, photography, and video. Her work addresses the complexity and invisibility of the black female identity in the western landscape from the history within domestic spaces to the fantasy of the tropical seductress. She has exhibited nationally and abroad, including solo and two-person exhibitions at the Aldrich Gallery, at the Aldrich Museum of Contemporary Art in Connecticut, Atlanta Contemporary, Hollis Taggart in New York, Wedge Curatorial in Toronto, Wave Hill in the Bronx, Brick Project Room, and AM Gallery in Sydney, Australia, just to mention a few. She has been commissioned for projects through the New York MTA, the Public Art Fund, Art Aspen, Google, Pulse Art Fair, I can go on and on. She's been included in publications, the New York Times, Brooklyn Museum, Artnet, Art Info, White Wall Magazine, among others. She is currently the Director of Programs at the National Academy of Design. Previously, she was the Associate Chair of Fine Arts at SCAD Atlanta, and prior to that was the Director of Art and Design for the Harlem School of the Arts. She received her MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and BFA from Boston University. In this episode, I am proud to feature Adrian Tarver, Thank you for joining the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Enjoy. Adrian. thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. You have a lot going on. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about. So let's start with, when did you discover your artistic passion? I think it's hard
1: to pinpoint when I discovered the passion. I was always the kid with a uh, sketchbook in hand. I would go to my brother's baseball games or basketball games or tennis matches with like, I would be the like younger sibling in the back with all the art supplies who all the <laughs> other younger siblings who were dragged along like knew had the art supplies. So like, I, it, it's just been a part of me. Like I've just, you know, like I guess most kids like arts and crafts and I just never got rid of it. Um, <laughs> but I think I discovered it was something I could do with my life in high school. My brother passed away when I was in high school, I was 16, he was 20. And I, as you know, a a major death in your life does it really, um, my family like really reevaluated our um, priorities. And that was right at the time where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go for college. And I was, you know, I was a good student, I could have probably done a lot of different things. But the thing I wanted to do the most while I was in the midst of those beginning parts of grieving was make art. I, I would go to the art classroom when I just like needed to escape. I started making a mural in high school. And that was the kind of solidifying period of like, okay, this is the thing that means the most to me.
0: Sorry to hear that loss. It's got to be tough. So that experienced, were those memories of your brother? Is that a part of your work? Do you incorporate that in your work?
1: It used to be, um, not so explicitly anymore, but my, my brother specifically was a part of my work in the early years. Like I painted a lot of old family photographs every now and then I pepper my Instagram with like old, like undergrad paintings or things. And I, I painted probably every member of my family at this point. So it was definitely like trying to process this life that was cut short and that I was like trying to remember, I like had a lot of anxiety around memory. Um, I still do. Uh, and so I was looking at old family photographs to kind of try to archive you know memories that are I, I guess already archived or try to I don't know, think about preserving something that I had lost and create something more tangible from it.
0: It's great that you had art to uh, help you work things through. What artists influenced you early on?
1: Early on, um, you know, when I was, I would say, like, I didn't really know the contemporary art landscape until well, like after undergrad, really. Um, so early on, it was, I remember going to um, a Degas show at the Art Institute of Chicago when I was, like, 10. And I was, you know, in dance. I was a ballerina as a kid. And so that was, like, hugely influential, this um, somebody representing, uh, you know, this other passion of mine. And then I think, you know, I, I distinctly remember in undergrad when a professor showed me the work of Gehinde Wiley and Kara Walker. And it was just like this first introduction really to, for me into contemporary Black artists. I had I did not know of any contemporary Black artists. I didn't really understand that world. So that that was like a very influential moment. And then, you know, it's continued to grow and evolve from there. Um, so early on, those, I guess, were the
0: the first influences and what what motivates you to create work what excites you?
1: I think it depends on the day mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and especially sort of depends on the like time in my life I think i'm I've been always motivated by um sort of a introspective reflection of self in the work which you know I know for some artists it exists kind of very outside of themselves or they're thinking about sort of like outside issues for me it's always been very Um, it starts with myself and it starts with sort of my place in the world and my understanding of the world you know mentioning like the old family photographs I used to paint from It was very much trying to understand like this little microcosm of the world that I came from and then even now like even as I'm painting things that or you know making work about things that in some you know many ways are larger issues like I think about you know origin stories and I think about sort of larger histories but they it really starts with myself and thinking about how I'm trying to understand my own origin story or my place in the world via this idea of origin being an important aspect of like who you are and how you operate in the world
0: I, I noticed you focus on a lot of women issues mm-hmm. I liked the caller uh, I love your Instagram post but do you remember what inspired you what swayed you to really focus on female?
1: I think it's somewhat of you know what I was saying before that like it starts with myself and mm-hmm. and part of it's like not feeling like I have the ability. I mean partially probably interest, but like the ability to speak for anyone else. And I specifically am a black woman, born female, female identified still like I operate in the world from a certain perspective. And I, I don't feel like it's my story to tell if it's not and this is like I say that without criticism towards people who are like you know brought in their story to other perspectives. For me, particularly, I think I'm drawn to understanding again my like my specific place in the world. And so, women, I'm a I'm a woman. I operate in the world as a woman. Um, there's so many nuances to that experience. I feel like it's endless, <laughs> and so I don't feel like I, I'm ever tired of it. And and yeah, I think there's. You know, you mentioned the collars in um, my Instagram, and there's these um, sort of wearable sculptural pieces that I've I've made um, specifically thinking about visibility and invisibility um, as it relates to particularly Black women in the world. And I think about I think about the Black woman in the Western landscape being either seen without a lot of agency and how they're you know put on display and being invisible in moments where they're trying to be visible. And like, there's that uh, tension between visibility and invisibility, desire, and, um, in the place that you want to to hold in the world. So those wearable pieces are really giving the ability to mask, to make yourself invisible when needed, when you want to. And I made these pretty pre-COVID and so like the idea of masks being sort of protection in this other way (laughs) kind of I was like oh wow like this feels relevant in that way but really it was more about armor and um, camouflage and I was able to work with um, dancers performers and when I I showed those pieces in Toronto uh, that was right before COVID I guess it was 2020 January 2020 and What I loved about the process was we sat down together, um, the dancers, curators, um, it was a two-person show, so the other artists in the show, and we talked about what it meant to be, and we were all women, different cultural backgrounds, but all women, and just talked about what it meant to be a woman in the world and like what it meant to have like these items of protection. And they used that conversation to create a performance piece using the wearable masks and collars and things. And it was, I just felt, felt very... Uh, what's the right word? I don't, it was just such a nice conversation. One, to just like be able to talk to other women about like, yeah, if I, sometimes I do want to be invisible and like, I feel like there's, I'm exposed in this way I don't want to be. And sometimes I want to be, you know, front and center and just like talking about what it means to be a woman with without having all the agency that you want to have and the ways that we try to create that agency.
0: So you have uh, you're, you have an interdisciplinary practice. You do a lot of different things, installation photography. Where within your practice do you feel the most passion?
1: Um, I think at the point where I'm generating the idea. So it's less about being most passionate about a certain material. Um, although I say that, t- that painting is kind of my first love and I do love painting and I love a, you know, I love a good day painting. But I started working interdisciplinarily because it starts with an idea and then what I I try to cater to what serves that idea best. So I recognized, I started to recognize in undergrad, but certainly came to accept in grad school that it wasn't always painting that was going to best serve the idea. Um, My thesis show in grad school ended up being a series of photographs and like a, a couple sculptural, like sewn sculptural pieces. And and so i I started to understand that, as much as I love painting, um it might not always be the outlet for what i what I'm trying to get at or the conversation
0: I'm trying to have. So, what are you excited about now? So I'm
1: excited about a few things. I mean, um I'm excited about you know upcoming shows and getting to um, bring some bodies of work into public viewing. That's always exciting. Um, I'm excited about um, an ongoing project. So one of the series that will be on view um, at the Aldrich Museum, there's my Manifesting Paradise series, which is based on the tarot. Um, and the, the tarot deck is actually 78 cards, although I, in the show are 22 images based on the major arcana of the tarot. Um, but I'm excited to continue. It's an ongoing, until I finish the 78, it's an ongoing project. So I'm excited to finish those i'm excited for you know I've, I've started you mentioned i'm very busy right now uh, i've started a job this year working for the national academy of design as the director of programs and i'm really excited about the work we're doing um the programs we have coming up and um the people i get to work with the artists that we work with it's i'm, I'm excited about all of those things
0: and you have a show another show at the atlanta contemporary I
1: do. Yeah. So um, at Atlanta Contemporary, uh, pretty much the same time as the Aldrich Museum show. And and the work is uh, what I think is really exciting about these two shows. The work is very related. They came about at the same time. I kind of, in my, my own brain, <laughs> see them as, you know, two parts of the same show. Um, so if anybody can see both of them, <laughs> like you get to see, you know, two parts of, of a show or two sides of it, um, whereas the Atlanta one is very different. Georgia specific and that the work came out of my own like familial and uh, personal connections to Georgia. Um, but it also relates to the tarot series. And there's a, a painting in the Aldrich show that um, is, I mean, very visually related, but also like conceptually related to the work in the Atlanta Contemporary
0: Show. When do you decide the titles for your work?
1: Um, sometimes. Sometimes before I make it, um, that's n- less common. Sometimes it happens pretty early on. Like there are some titles where I just like, like I, I really love words, I love language. Um, I like reading a lot. So sometimes they come from books. Sometimes they come from like my own thoughts after reading. Um, and then sometimes they're really hard to name. And uh, I try really I'm trying, especially now, really hard to not name things untitled too often. But sometimes it takes some time and i sitting with a piece and I just kind of stare at it and write a bunch of stuff and do sort of like free word association until, I, it, until it feels right.
0: And how do you feel when you approach a blank canvas?
1: I, I think it kind of depends on similar to the title thing. Sometimes I'm like, I know exactly what it like. I stretch that canvas for a certain painting. And I know it's going to be. Sometimes I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to make. And so I just stretch some canvases at various sizes and then figure it out along the way. Um, I think I'm always waiting for the painting to be bad because I think there's a moment where when the painting, when I'm not happy with the painting, I'm most excited to make it better when it's blank. It has the potential to do anything. And that's a little bit more daunting than being faced with the painting that I'm like, okay, it's not working. Like, let me just like, change it completely or do, you know, analyze it, figure out what I need to do. So like blank painting can be up or down depending on
0: the day. <laughs> and you've been commissioned for public art. What's that experience like?
1: It's. I think it's very different um, depending on like where it's going and what it's for. Um, I, I have an upcoming MTA project, which is probably the most public thing that I've been commissioned for. Uh, COVID delayed it a bit. So hopefully that will be coming up. Uh, in the next year. So, I mean, I think like the process, what's really interesting, I think, is the process of talking to the different stakeholders that have to have a say, you know, when you're making work in your studio, that's just going to go to a gallery. uh, It's really about you. And, you know, I guess if the gallery wants to show it or not, but with public art or work that's going into, you know, it's commissioned for any space, um, there's generally, you know, structural constraints, architectural constraints, audience concerns, if, you know, depending on how public it is for something like, you know, an MTA outdoor project, there's like actual, like, parameters of the size of the holes and things, you know, that are safety concerns. Um, So it really kind of creates these different structures to work within, which I think are, I, you know, as, you know, as an educator as well, like, I, I think, it's always useful to give students parameters to try to work within. So it's, it kind of puts you in that space of like a homework assignment, like a school assignment of like, okay, this is what I have to work within. You don't have the open, the wide open space anymore. You've got like a bit more of a structure, a bit more rules around it.
0: Have you done much public work? I've
1: I've just been dabbling into it. I've been (laughs) tiptoeing into it recently. Um, So the the MTA project is gonna be the first major outdoor like public public work um most of the commissions i've worked on have been indoor and so have different limitations and different constraints on them but yeah the mta will be the first like outdoor public
0: that's exciting yeah i'm excited for it how would you say your practices changed over the years i mean
1: i think um i kind of alluded to like from undergrad to grad was this like acceptance that um I am not always a painter like I am I am always a painter but I'm not always painting and so that was something that I think was necessary for me to accept to let my um practice grow and I think once I fully removed the higher like the material hierarchy like I don't have to paint oil on canvas for that to be you know art with a capital a was able to explore You know I I started to go to the hardware store to find supplies, I was always kind of going to the craft store like I I grew up sewing my mom was a a great seamstress um, as like a side hobby. Um, So like fabric and materials were always like in my studio but feeling open and free to just go to the hardware store and a lot of the installation I work work I make now is purely mostly from hardware store materials and so it really gave me like the an open an open field to play with so i think that's the biggest growth in my practice was just letting myself expand materially and then that allowed me to start thinking about things like performance so you know in 2020 in toronto working with dancers and understanding what it's like to collaborate in that space and um working in video and working Doing some writing and just like letting every every avenue be a possibility for me.
0: What would you say is the definition of black art?
1: I mean, I think anybody who's black who's making art. I don't think it's constrained by anything. I think any of the constraints that are put on it are external. Um, I don't think you know I. I have plenty of Black artists friends and they make very different work. And I, you know, some people make the work about being Black and, or it's related to that and some it's not at all. So I, I think the conversations that you have with artists and their studios versus the conversations that might be had by art historians and institutions are very different. <laughs> and I think artists and their studios Aren't necessarily thinking like, oh, I'm making black art. Like, I definitely don't think that in my studio. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just making art. It happens to come from a black woman. That's uh, you know, that's the perspective.
0: No, it's a it's a it's a tricky question. I ask it because um because I like to hear the different answers, but mm, they are sort mm-hmm. of consistent in 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 a way. What do you feel is the purpose of art?
1: You know, that's something that I um have thought about so much. Even from you know, I, I mentioned when I was in, in high school and my brother passed away, and it, for me, it was this like very cathartic thing for me to do. And, and then as an educator and like in my professional life, it's been really interesting to see how transformative, like it's a good reminder when you're working with students constantly or working, you know, with public programs to see how transformative it is for other people. Cause I think when you're in it, it's, um, it can, you can be like, I think with anything that you do all the time, you can be either jaded or you be kind of blind to what it actually is or how it can affect people so for me i mean i don't know i don't know how to exist without it and i think um it has this ability to let you live within yourself and understand yourself and understand the world um in a deep way and help you communicate complicated confusing ideas have conversations about complicated confusing things (laughs) um, in a way that I think, you know, sometimes words fail and, you know, some art is based on words. And, and I think like the, the art landscape allows those words to not necessarily make sense in the way they have to make sense in like literature. So I don't know if that really answers it. <laughs> I feel yes, like it's yes. a big question. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I like uh, particularly the comment words fail because words can fail. And have you ever thought about what career path or what you would, would have done if you hadn't become an artist or an art professional?
1: Yeah, all the time.
0: Oh, um, really? Yeah. Really? I, like,
1: part of me thinks there's like a, a alternative, a alternate person like living my like other lives because I think so many artists, I don't think I'm unique in the fact that so many artists had a like some part in their life where they're like, oh yeah, like I wasn't, I either started doing something else or I wasn't sure I was going to do it. I think you question it a lot. It's not, you know, it's not the like guaranteed uh, nine to five income kind of, thing to do. So um, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm alone and sort of having the imaginary like, oh, that's what I would have done. I at one point, for a long time in high school, I wanted to be an architect, but I uh, don't love math. And <laughs> the idea of like, it being kind of closer to engineering than art was not attractive to me. But um, I think I probably, when I recognize that if I hadn't become an artist would have probably gone into law, because I am very interested in A lot of the, especially like intellectual property conversations, but um, also like I I like to talk. (laughs) Like I feel like it goes along with, like I end up in these sort of educational or programs um, roles which involve a lot of public speaking, so it just kind of falls within my skill set, I think.
0: You know, I first recognized your work or fell in love with your work, I should say. Your colors caught my eyes, the greens and the blues, Mm -hmm. and also and I'm not going to describe this correctly, but away from painting, would you call them sculptures, the beautiful green floating materials that I see in some of your installations?
1: It's interesting that you ask, like, what do I call them? Because I think I've been trying to figure out the best terminology for them. (laughs) Um, I call them hanging paintings, which I actually don't think is really like the descriptive enough or accurate term for them. But I characterize them as hanging paintings because I sort of, training-wise as i a painter, but they are more sculptural. Um, they're caulking on wire mesh. So like, you know, construction, you know, hardware store. So like construction caulking on um, like window screen wire mesh um, and, and then painted. So the colors, I mean, particularly um, with that installation work, I think about the tropics and these spaces that hold lots of mythologies or have had like t- lots of stories told about the spaces um with you know often lots of inaccuracies or omissions from like the real history of these spaces and I thought a lot about how the narratives of these places are exported you know the primary population of these tropical spaces tend to be black and brown people um that have not been the writer that you know the the author of these these stories they've been you know co-opted by um european narrators and so the idea of like the idea of what the tropics are and what they actually are is something I'm very interested in and and sort of the mythologies wrapped up in it so to connect direct to color the color for me like it's super saturated and it's this like idea of beautiful greenery but they're they're you know, a little oversaturated and they're not specific greens. I'm not using, um, I'm not painting anything from observation. And so for me, it's important that it's like, that they signify the tropics, that they signify a space, that they're not the reality of that space.
0: They feel tropical. And they're
1: supposed to, they're supposed to feel like uber tropical, you know, the most tropical.
0: That's the message you convey. They're beautiful. Thank you. This has been a lovely conversation and I appreciate your time. So this is our last question and you may have answered it indirectly already. What do you feel is your role as an artist?
1: I feel like, you know, my, I have a responsibility, I think to myself, but, um, and and that's just to make things that feel right to me to continually check in, to feel does it feel like this is what I want to be making um, to sort of not be swayed by what I feel like other people might expect or want or, Want me to continue to make. Um, but I think, sort of, in the larger perspective, like the role of artists in general, I think is to be a touch point for um, we're creating culture in real time. And these are the things that get documented and referenced back into history to understand who we are as a people, who we are as a country, um, who we are as a community, you know, small to large sort of reference point. And so I think, as a as an artist, it's just to like pay attention and create what makes sense for you. Um, to have conversations about those things, to create work that that resonates with what's important to you, so that it does it does you know land in these whether it's a, a history book or you know a catalog or um, an exhibition in a way that represents the part of the the narrative that you want to be represented.
0: The beauty of art, I always hope that it helps us appreciate the simple things in life.
1: Yeah, I I think it can. I think it it often does.
0: Once again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation, and I look forward to following you forever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you for the, the support and for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.